Hello, welcome to Dust Busters, your inseparable companion podcast to His Dark Materials. I'm Jake Cunningham, and I've been fighting for the original books for years. Hello, and I'm Louisa Maycock. Jake and I have been together for almost a decade, and we haven't been fighting for that long, <laughs> but I've never read a single one of these books. Penguin Random House support Dust Busters. They're the publishers of Philip Pullman's work. If you want to know what happens after His Dark Materials ends... Then The Book of Dust, The Secret Commonwealth, which follows Lyra and is set after the Dark Materials novels, is out now in hardback, ebook, and audiobook, read by Michael Sheen. Now for this episode, although obviously we all bow down to the magisterium, sometimes an empire will do. <laughs> this week, from the world's biggest movie magazine, we welcome online staff writer Ben Travis. Hello! Hello. I, I like what you did there. <laughs> You're getting better at these. Thank you. Well, it's taken seven weeks. I'm glad I've been able to write one intro that's okay. Um, uh, and Lou, as we've got someone from Empire, you've prepared something from a recent food film favorite for dinner oh, after this as well. Yes. We're having Chef's Pasta, which is... Ooh. What, uh, from, from the movie Chef? From the movie Chef. From the oh movie Chef. Oh my God. So not only am I obsessed with all the food in Chef... But I'm also obsessed with The Chef Show on yes. Netflix, um, which this podcast is not sponsored by. But it's just John Favreau cooking things with fun people in fun places. It's the pasta that he makes, um, Scarlett, Scarlett Johansson. Johansson. Yes. Uh, I mean, it's got to be a pretty incredible pasta if John Favreau is cooking it for Scarlett Johansson mm -hmm. and she gives him the eyes that she does. Um, <laughs> uh, but it does look pretty good and we'll be trying that this evening uh after yeah watching it in chef watching it multiple times in the chef show and then watching it again on binging with babish as well <laughs> just gotta get it get it just right um but we must move on to his dark materials this week's episode the fight to the death uh ben before we do get into that something that we do each week is kind of get everyone up to speed with where you are with his dark materials uh do you have any relationship to the original books like i do or are you a complete newbie like louis yeah no i'm on i'm on the jake end um i grew up with these books i read them when i was like way too young to understand them and had to keep rereading them um as i got older to actually understand what the hell was going on most of the time i think i may have been like ooh, probably like nine or ten when Whoa, i read northern lights for the first young. time and i sort of leapt to them from from harry potter because i'm Firmly part of the Harry Potter generation. I was, I was seven when I came to Potter and the first two books of that were out. And I think it wasn't at that much longer afterwards, um, that we had Northern Lights. And I had a copy of Northern Lights that I think was like an adult cover edition. It's like a really weird, like almost like a painting of a girl who looks kind of like Lyra, but it's sort of not with a sexy. Big, it's not, <laughs> it's not, it's not, it's not, it's not sexy. It's an adult. Yeah. It's kind of like, it looks like a sort of like medieval painting or something. Like sexy it's Lyra. Weird. And I remember, I have a very strong memory of, um, uh, when, uh, when I was younger, my uh, granddad was quite unwell. He was in a nursing home for a while. I was reading the book when we went to visit him once. And I remember one of the members of staff being like, Oh, that's a very sort of like strange book you read in there and thinking like, because in my head, it it was a it was a kid on an adventure. Thing. Yeah, and it, I, I think growing up, you sort of realise how actually how different his dark materials is, especially the places that it goes to. Um, but yeah, I've grown up with these books, and especially um, we used to listen to the audiobooks um, on like family holidays as well. And now That's that so wholesome. Audible is a thing, uh, yeah, like <laughs> again, memories <laughs> you know, of like uh, Lyra and her family are just so nice, yeah, and yeah. Just, like just a classic family unit. Uh, just They're so normal, <laughs> classic nuclear family, Azriel, Coulter, Lyra, you know. Um, yeah, so we, we'd listen to those on family holidays as well. And now in like, I'm still a bit obsessed with um, audiobooks as an adult, including the Harry Potter audiobooks and these ones as well. I, uh, in fact, I'm like an hour away from finishing um, the Amber Spyglass audiobook. When do you listen, listen to them? Is it before bed or just on like, your commute? All the time. I'm yeah. like listening to stuff all the time. He doesn't actually have a job. It's just <laughs> <laughs> I just make it up. Um yeah, on my way in and out of work, traveling around. If I'm like doing the washing up or boring like household stuff, mm -hmm. also my like sort of um, quiet, happy place is 
having an audiobook or a podcast on and playing a video game that I don't really have to concentrate on. And Ooh. that is like, if I had to read the alethiometer, that is my state of mind Ooh. where it's like, I'm sort of concentrating, but I'm also not thinking about anything yeah. at the so same time. Lou and I are like 20 years late on playing video games. No, no, no. But I've like, you're putting like, words like, into my mouth. Of like the new gen. <laughs> I was, I used to play Spyro on PS1. Yeah. But when do you think Spyro came out? Uh, is like this going to make me feel really old? Yeah. yeah. But you never played video games, really, did you? Yeah, did you have a, con- a console? I had a, I had a PlayStation and would play FIFA. And uh-huh. that was that, that was the extent of my video games. Did game. you have a Game Boy? Uh, game Boy Color? With FIFA. <laughs> Just FIFA. <laughs> and But now we have a Nintendo Switch and we've pretty much exclusively only played Zelda Breath of the Wild. Amazing. I'm not interested in any other games yeah. other than but I really Zelda. like that because Zelda is so calming. Yeah. I'd love yes. to like play that and then listen to Northern Lights. That sounds so nice. And something I, like that where yeah. you like, you intrinsically know how to play, you know the rules of the world and you're faced with puzzles and things, but you're not there from moment to moment having to go through like cutscenes and going like, well, what do I need to go and do now? It's just like, you can just go and exist and be in that world. So the one part of your brain is doing that. And the other part of your brain is just sort of passively taking in this story at the because same do time. You, do you find, because what you do as a career, you're always having to sort of be analyzing and reacting to things that playing a game like Zelda, it's so nice to not have to have a reaction that's sort of going to be culturally relevant yeah, you can just sort of enjoy it for what it is. And yeah. I think it's just a very different experience as well, watching something versus playing something. Yeah. And just as you were asking Jake that then, I realized as well, a big part of my growing up was listening to the Harry Potter audiobooks on cassette and playing Game Boy at the same time. So, nice. so it's probably just like a complete, like my brain is so basic. It's just like, this is a nice childhood oh, thing. <laughs> that does sound really nice. Um, all right. But we, we must move from that lovely <laughs> memory uh, to the bleakness that has become series one of his dark materials. Remember Oxford? Remember bouncing around the roofs of that? Remember of Jordan Roger College? bringing us breakfast? Yeah. Oh, oh. Those were good times. Yeah. Even when they were running around in the crypt, that's nothing on what's yeah. going on now. Um, I just do a quick recap uh, of last week's episode so we saw lyra infiltrate bowl vanguard where all of the kidnapped kids had been taken uh, she was reunited with her friend roger and they coordinated an impressive escape aided in the end by her egyptian army that she'd been traveling with along with lee scoresby uh, seraphina picala and of course yorick bernison the panzerborn uh, polar bear who we focus a lot more on this week uh ben you have any thoughts on last week's episode last week's i was kind of mixed on and i found myself sort of going up and down on the series as it's been going and again not to bring this back to harry potter every time but in that way that when i was a bit younger i was so invested in the harry potter books that i found i always enjoyed them the films but i found it quite hard to separate myself from mm. knowing what happens in the books and what happens in the films and I rewatched those films the other year and actually enjoyed them more than I ever have because I have a bit more distance whereas here with this I'm so invested in the books that I'm slightly struggling sometimes with the changes yeah and with what's, some your, of the what's been your biggest irk the uh, boreal stepping through the portal in episode two which I get why they did it but was like, a, whoa, okay, we're going here. And it's just because the thing that I really like is that I really admire how Jack Thorne has thought about how to tell this story, how to adapt this entire story for the, for the screen, for the serialized sort of adaptation. But at the same time, um, I love how the story is told in the books and I find that incredibly effective. And the fact that they're telling it differently, it means that some things that hit you in such a major way in the books they're inevitably not going to be done in a way for the screen that's going to hit you in the same way. So I've sort of resigned myself to the fact that I'm not going to feel the same way. Yeah. Um, and so with last week's episode, um, the attack on uh, Bolvanga is such a... It's like... It comes about two thirds of the way through the book, but it is almost like the sort of action climax. Weirdly, yeah, when I think of Northern Lights, I think of that in a way as the finale rather yes. than Svalbard. Yes. 
And, and I think, um, we'd only just got there and then everything happened like really quickly happened. I found it a little bit too fast moving. I wanted to spend a little bit more time with Lyra in that institution so that when she breaks out and breaks everyone else out, you can feel it more. You feel yeah. that. Well, it's um, like, like with any prison escape film, you need to spend the time in there to get the reward of getting out. Exactly. Yeah. And I think part of the storytelling of that as well is you're in there and you get to know the daily routine. You see when your outs are going to be, you, you work out your escape route from there, which is kind of what happens in the book. I feel like in the book, she's in there for a little bit more yeah. time. Um, and I understand that you kind of just have to, to power through. So that was part of it. And there were just a couple of things I completely understand. Um, from a from just a budget and production point of view that you can't do all the demon stuff all the time but there were little character notes in there that i felt like um when uh lyra and pan are nearly cut from each other and she's not looking at pan she's screaming out the window for Mm. mrs coulter was like a Ooh, you should be you should be looking at pan at this moment and then when they had that scene with mrs coulter afterwards her and Pan should be like all over each other. This is your soul. This is your yeah. essence that was so nearly cut from you and the sheer relief that you're still together. Um, so there were little things like that that I just thought it was hard not to feel that while watching it. But it is still impressive to see this story being told generally, like properly in a really good way. Especially I know you've mentioned the film a couple of times and how much <laughs> yeah. that has to well, skirt around things. So the the comments from last week and this week that we'll get into as well are certainly all about about pacing and yeah. structure and, and things feeling like we're just powering through them. Uh, and I think after this, Lou and I are going to watch The Golden Compass, which I don't have much memory of. Um, but to think how they would have been getting all of this into the runtime that that had, mm. and I have no idea. It's mental, what isn't it? It's crazy. I've never seen the film at all, so... I have very little memory. Yeah, of the this film. is it. Uh, I think it's going to be really odd to watch it, um, but I'm really looking forward to it. Uh, but let's let's move on to uh, the fight to the death. That's this week's episode. Uh, so after falling out of Lee Scoresby's hot air balloon at the end of last week's show, uh, Lyra is held captive at Svalbard, the court of Jofa Ragnarsson, the new king of the bears. She has to negotiate her exit along with Yorick's return to the throne before she can go and find Lord Asriel at his laboratory. Meanwhile, in our world, Lord Boreal continues his investigations into John Parry and his family, this time featuring a home invasion. So because this this episode, for better or for worse, is quite scattered, uh, I thought we'd kind of break it down per character. Um, And let's start with Mrs. Coulter, because she opens the episode. We see the destroyed Bolvangar. I love that opening shot. Yeah, the broken guillotine Mm. in this, like, this crumpled Soviet, uh, like, looked like a crashed spaceship. It's great. I spotted another, um, you know, each week we've been picking out images from the, the titles. Oh, yeah. That first shot was sort of the slow pan to Mrs. Coulter. Mm. Mirrors one. Because it's Mrs. Coulter and her and her demon, yeah. and in the titles there's Lyra and Pan oh. in the same sort of um, framed shot. I love those opening titles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. so good. So and the good. music, oh my god, the so music good. gets me so hyped every time. Yeah. yeah. Um, so Mrs. Coulter, she doesn't do a huge amount in this one. She just gets annoyed at the the Bolvangar escape happened, and then she heads out on a new exhibition up to go and find Lord Asriel because. With the new king coming into town with the polar bears, he's got his new freedom. Um, but she does do a really good scream. Yes. Do you think she's doing too many of these screams that it's losing? They're losing some of their um, power. I would say yes if it wasn't for the small piece of spit in this scream <laughs> oh, that extends that. from her top teeth to her bottom teeth, and I, I'm sure it's just something that happened in the moment. But it was like added an extra animalistic edge that. When you watch it, watch back. And she, yeah, she screams. There's this like really thin line of like spit in there. It's, it's weird and kind of gross, but sort of amazing. Okay, I'll have to go back and yeah. watch that it, scene it, again. I, I really liked that bit because I think it, in, the, in the sound mix, they kind of brought up the music as well in that moment. So it was kind of this blending of this guttural sound mm. mixed with the horns in the, in the, um, in the soundtrack as well. I, I thought that bit was great. But this section does have a bit that I think, yeah. Little, little too much, going a bit too extreme, um, and that is 
Mrs. Coulter's strangling of uh, one of the nurses, played by Morford Clark, who's who's doing great stuff mm. as a kind of zombified, separated adult, which is not something we've seen with separ- mm. a separated child. Um, that was Billy Costa, who was separated, wandered around, and then and then died. Um, and Mrs. Coulter kind of takes out her anger on the nurse and strangles her, and then realizes what she's doing, and then just like brushes herself down. What do we make of that? Because I thought that was yeah, a little, little much. I kind of agree. It was mm. a bit much. And I also thought it was a bit much like the swing of the pendulum both ways mm. that she was going that extreme. Because I'm not sure that quite happens in the books that she outright like throttles somebody. No, and she, then, is, she feels more calculated. Yeah. yeah, more calm and calculated in the books. And then so then they swing the other way where she's like, I'm, I'm very sorry. I didn't mean to do that. And the, the sort of like, the the extremes of emotion feel quite different to the character I imagine in my head, but also a big part of it is me just trying to get past that. And I think <laughs> it's a great performance overall. It's just a different interpretation of the character. Yeah. Mm. Um, well, it leads me on to a point about separation uh, because I think separation as a concept within the books is so interesting, this idea that you have a soul that is exterior to your body. And what if that was removed? And we've seen someone, die, a child die from that. Clearly here in the show, an adult can have that process done to them. And they are, they are totally glazed over. They, they look like someone who has It's sort of, it's, it's, you know, a sort of stereotype of someone who's had a lobotomy or something. Yeah. Just something, a part of their brain has just completely been removed. They're just functioning on a very basic level. Yeah. But we have also seen that Mrs. Coulter and her demon can move very far from each other mm. but it's never said that they've gone through that guillotine process as well what do you make of that i mean i love the idea on that more subtle storytelling level that yeah she's probably not had that sort of operation done but she, as a as a person as a human being she is more detached from her soul and her conscience mm. that that gap um, I think is fascinating, and that's something that the book explores quite a lot. Just in the 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 multitude of things going on with that character, that she is not necessarily in touch with herself in a way that a lot of the other characters are. And she seems to be almost angry towards her demon. Well, if, if you know, we haven't seen her demon talk back to her. No, it's that's always a one way si- conversation. The silence yeah. between them is very eerie. Yeah, um, and I re- I think the Secret Commonwealth, the new book really gets into separation as an idea like the the main focus of the whole book is on that and how even separation would operate in outside of a nice fantasy world and how it would operate in kind of a criminal underworld as well and that's a little tease i know Ooh. but uh i think like there is kind of a reveal in that that for me was like a shattered glass in my head to think oh of course, that is what would happen with separation. Very good. And I'm, I'm sorry for going down that, that route. I just I didn't know, have, like, are you watching me just glaze yeah, over totally? such a, I know there's a minority of people <laughs> that will know what I'm talking about there, but uh, it's very good and I recommend people it, read it. It's election night tonight and I really had to stop myself from making a political joke. Oh. <laughs> what if there were people in this world that just seemed to have no soul? Yeah. You know? Oh, imagine that. What would that look like? <laughs> I don't know who I could be thinking of, but it feels like there's something relevant there. <laughs> All right. Um, so we, we, will, we will leave the uh, tyrannical leader, Mrs. Coulter. Uh, and yeah, as you say, there's, there's no one that that could be like. No. No. Um, let's, let, should we move on to nice Will instead? Oh, Will. A tonic for the evening. You're a fan of Will. You're a Will fan. I love Will's all the Will stuff. I think partly because, well... He's really great. I think it's... I thought um, you were going to say, and I'm really great. <laughs> really great. I just like relate to him on that. No, I think the, the partly it's that Amir Wilson, who's playing Will, I think he's just doing such a good job of it. And also, I think as we're going to get into the pacing, everything they've done with Will so far in the show is like one chapter of a book that may not be Northern Lights. And... I think the chance to spend time with that character and really care for him and the sheer empathy that you feel for the situation that he's in, I think is huge. It has such a human effect, Mm -hmm. which I think is also what happens in the books because he's not 
in Lyra's world and you can get swept up in the adventure and the fantastical nature of Lyra's world. And then when you crash back to our earth, to our world, um, and he's a kid that you sort of just in that being from our universe, you instantly relate to him a little bit more. Um, I love that stuff. And I think as much as I felt uneasy at first about them starting to bring stuff from the subtle knife into the series this early, I actually think it really nicely contrasts mm. with how fantastical Lyra's side of the story is is going. Yeah. And really we haven't been shown a lot of the story of the subtle knife where will ends up at the end of this episode is basically where he's introduced in the mm-hmm. books yeah and then we learn things that have come before that so what we've been seeing in episodes two onwards of will we learn through uh kind of flashback exposition stuff but what happens to him at the end that's where we join it and everything they've sort of done with him so far is fully i mean obviously because this is what happens in the books fully what i imagined would be the opening 10 minutes of the first episode of series two Mm. Mm. but they've spent a lot more time and a lot more care in bringing him into the story which i think is a really interesting and kind of smart move from from jack thorne yeah and lou when we first met will you were kind of head over heels i I like this guy um but you're not so keen on the will stuff in this episode i think it's yeah more we're just always circling back to the pacing of it Mm. i just find it becoming increasingly jarring i find it becoming increasingly jarring that i feel that neither worlds are given enough time Mm. for me to feel strongly about anything that's happening in either of them yeah i think um that it's a risk like because you you introduce him in episode two you're not going to be telling so much of that story so you've really got to spread it thin across the episodes like for instance Last week, we only had one scene, and actually, it was jarring to have that scene. That scene was, yeah, the more uh, I think it, about it, the more it, it had no place being there. And would it have served us better to cut that completely and put it in either the prior episode or this episode so we can just feel a little more invested in that? Um, but I, I think there's really good stuff in our world. I, I'm increasingly enjoying Lord Boreal. I think he's like like cartoonish Scooby-Doo villain at times, Uh but he is... I love how he like steps through the portal, mm. almost yeah, like villain. Yeah, he is <laughs> like his body language. He relishes it every yeah. time. He really does. He? Yeah, and we're we're not given any of that. Mrs. Coulter's like, is he is he nice or is he anything? Like he's just here's here's your baddie. Mm. Like this is as soon as someone is presented with their snake demon, uh, you kind of know. I, I there is still a part of me that resents him being given so much so much screen time and story time. When, as we, as we're going to talk about, other things feel slightly rushed, mm. and I feel like he his character is one of the main things in this show that's been massively expanded. And mm. I feel like, kind of like you were saying there, that he is he's just he's just evil. He's just a sort of evil dude who's hopping between the worlds. And I feel like we understood that from quite early on in the season. So why spend of, so much yeah. time? Yeah, I want to spend less time with him because I feel like there's other stuff that could be better explored with that time um but it is interesting just seeing how they've decided to tell that side of the story yeah uh so he uh kind of forces his way into will's house he uh, manipulates his mum he plays on her mental health troubles Mm. which he's aware of by revealing his like snake demon from his chest and obviously that sends will's mum down a spiral and just like the idea of someone purposely manipulating your own psychosis is just mm. so horrible. Like I know it's not a big, big moment, but that in terms of the evil things that we've seen in the show, um, like that one really irked me. And, uh, but after that, M- Will's mum went and met him at school and she's worried people are coming to break into the house or steal the letter. So Will takes her away to Mr. Hanway, uh, his boxing teacher, who we met a short while back, is played by Ray Fearon, who I think is lovely. Mm-hmm. He just seems really nice. Just uh, a chill dude, you know? Yeah. Um, I, I can't wait until people <laughs> in series three meet the character that he voiced in the uh, radio version, because it's, it's something else. I'll tell you, Ben, afterwards who that yeah. is. <laughs> okay. um, but what I think is interesting, in the books, Will leaves his mum with his piano teacher. Which is very different to boxing. <laughs> well, piano is more feminine, isn't it? Boxing yeah. is more like manly. 
Yeah, I, 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 I would have loved that to have been a detail included that Will played the piano. Yeah, I always found that really interesting with Will that it was a piano teacher because we we know him as a physical threat, and that's you kind of get that. And then the piano thing is this like nice little artistic flourish. Mm. Um, and but I suppose they established Mr. Hanway in a previous episode, so it makes sense. Yeah, it's it's like the the um. Uh, Tony Costa of it all the like if we're going to have to conflate characters let's do it in a way that dovetails with the story how we're showing these characters because I quite liked that they introduced it, that boxing scene that he has a couple of episodes ago because something that maybe will be important is that he is yeah he's a sort of a bit of a fighter of a character um, so I, I sort of understand why they did it but I agree with you that sort of slightly softer side of him that he has a sort of creative yeah. side I, like we'll see him i'm sure like shield himself but really have quite a quite a philosophical mind mm. um and approach to the world and worlds beyond him um but we we do leave the episode with him showing himself as a fighter uh there is the home invasion whilst he's there he's protecting these letters from his dad and will kills a man what did you make of that louis he had to do what he had to do <laughs> Because well, it's really important, ultimately, that Will kills someone. The way that that becomes introduced in the books is quite a surprise. Mm. It's quite casually introduced and for uh, odd reasons. Um, but we would you actually, I suppose something that I've always thought about when I've read that moment is, is he actually the killer? So in that in that moment, do you think Will is a murderer? Um. Well, technically, yes, because, but it's a sort of, crime of passion i guess mm-hmm. he's trying to protect himself and his family it's an ethical conundrum you'd have to um yeah and so and it- he has some help yes because the cat the guy trips over the cat oh yes this is something that i was gonna say is that will's demon the cat we have we, so there's no demons in that world oh in world. it's our world yeah it's our world oh but i was thinking imagine if the cat was will's demon <laughs> But okay, so I mean, the, the cat, cat still helped him out, I suppose. Who is the cat then? That's Moxie. That's is Moxie, Moxie the, cat. the cat. Is Moxie the cat a big Moxie, player? Moxie, or? Moxie the cat is, is like. I a, mean, she's a murderer, so yeah. I guess a sort of big player in that sense. Yeah, I mean, get get Moxie in jail, you know. <laughs> <laughs> that's uh, spoiler alert. That's what the rest of the series becomes about: trying to pin yeah. this murder on this cat, making a Moxie. <laughs> <laughs> the Netflix documentary yeah. coming soon. Binge it over Christmas. <laughs> Um, and and we le- we leave Will uh, going looking up at the window where his mum is in uh, Mr. Hamway's house, and then deciding that well he's a he's a killer now, so he's got to go off. And who knows where he might go? You know what other stories could there be to interlink him with? Can I just while we're on the Will stuff, I just need to raise my one beef with okay. the Will stuff. We've which, had no beef so far in this episode, so this is the one. Yes, beef. Um, <laughs> Will's house. This Grand Designs house. Yes. Mm, amazing spaces. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it, it looks like an inside of a catalogue. Um, and I really imagined him in my head. And I don't know how much this is described. Just living in a normal, like, terraced mm. house on a street. Yeah. Um, that he's sort of, even from a slightly disadvantaged background, being a carer for his mum and his dad being out of the picture. Um, so it's still, it just rankles me a little bit. It is very stylish, isn't it's it? It's so stylish. Imagine living in that house. I wonder yeah. whether it would have been a smarter choice to make him, the other setting, their house a little bit more just... A little bit plainer. Generic, mm, yeah. a little bit more neutral well, rather than... Yeah. You were yeah. saying, Ben, that the joy of coming to this will will storyline is that suddenly we're in our world and if we we can make all the elements of that feel as normal and grounded as possible and it because i've never been in a house that looks like that and it's not really one isn't it on is it on stilts it's yeah it's like raised up and it's got a big long fancy driveway and it looks unlike most houses you'd Mm. see in any place especially Oxford. oxford yeah yeah and oxford's not cheap yeah. yeah. Um, okay. But that's where we leave Will. Uh, we'll quickly cover um, Lee's scene. Uh, Lee has a uh, tete-a-tete with uh, Serafina. I've never Piccola. heard you use that phrase before. <laughs> Had a certain je ne sais quoi. <laughs> well, maybe, maybe a little uh, romantic language is right for this scene, is it not, Louis? Because I feel like yeah. you're, you're, into, you're ready to write some fanfic, aren't you? <laughs> I, no. If you see me do that. I'm cancelled. <laughs> <laughs> You're not shipping Lee and Sarah I don't Vina. ship them. But I do think they have great chemistry. Yeah. Um, I don't think her and Vardakoram are that believable. Do you think Lee's scoring 
be later. <laughs> what? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I I like it when we get them on screen together. Right. Okay. Are you saying that Serafina Pecola is sort of um, superficial because she doesn't fancy the old beardy guy that she used to be <laughs> He's with, a handsome whereas man. now sort of young, fairly handsome Lin Manuel Miranda twirls in with a mustache. And they're all up in each other's grills. But do they have they have history as well? Don't they? Yeah. What? Yeah. Je- what? Corum and Seraphina? No, no, no. Seraphina and um, Lee. Lee. Well, not as much as her having and a child Corum. together yeah. and the child dying. Um, yeah. But I think that's fine. I think the um, I think the the writing in this scene between Lee and Seraphina um, uh, could do with a little touch up. It kind of feel like these lines have been carved in stone tablets uh, rather than on a page. It's very much like. Uh, this means I need to fight again. Yes, it's great sort of war is coming. Generic, pompous, fancy, yeah, tropey it, stuff like, like call to arms type. Mm. It reminded me of um, the Kate Blanchett voiceovers in Lord of the Rings, mm. and I think she she's giving it that kind of delivery. Um, but I, I do like the Seraphina. And I, I do think elsewhere, for me, um, when Lin's Lee steps into the story, it actually breathed a lot of like normal life into it for me, mm. because I think um, some of my feelings about the early episodes is that it did lay on some of those fantasy tropes a little bit thick in the, in the dialogue. And when you get him coming in and just like having a chat with Hester and yeah. sort of being a bit more normal, yeah. that grounded the story a lot. So it was a bit of a shame in this episode yeah. to see him. You, yeah, you want him into to that. come in and just give it some life and give mm. it a bit of fun as well. Yes, which But we could just use more of him as well. Yeah, yeah. so you're 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 definitely becoming more of a fan of Lee because when he was first introduced we weren't so on board with that. Yeah, I think maybe you like Lynn. Yeah, you don't know what you've got till it's gone. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, but we must leave Lee behind, much like Lyra did by falling out of a balloon. Um, <laughs> right, you couldn't hear that, but it was a, a dab. I just happened. dabbed. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, I'm glad the apology is on my. Um, Lyra falls out of the sky. Um, she's met by one of the other polar bears. She's imprisoned. Um, Can I just, when when the other polar bear came into sort of silhouette, mm. you know, <laughs> I have an issue with the with the armor. Yeah. For some mm. reason, to me, it's just very comical. Yeah. And the helmet looks so much like the first thing that I thought of when I saw it was that you know all the um helmets that you see cyclists wearing now with the camera on the top. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> So this polar bear is like GoProing its experience in the north. The thing that I thought you were going to say then, I was thinking of Yurex armor, and you know that meme where it's a picture of a cat and it's got an orange on its head as a helmet <laughs> looks kind of like that. But I I like Yurex armor. I, yeah, this episode needed more armors on the armored bears. Yeah, yeah, I know. But then they take it off to fight. Weird. It yes, when they it tends it to be to their fight. soul. Um, it's heck? meant to be effectively their demon, and that's obviously they do the markings on Yofa on his face so you can see. But also the whole point is that Yorick has this his old like clanky rusty armor, but that's who Yorick is. And Yofa has this like flashy, fairly superficial armor, which is who he is. But then it's just two bears having a fight. Yeah, I mean, I I feel like maybe I've done this analogy before. But it's the end of the last crusade. It's the cup of a carpenter versus the cup yes. of a king. And you should always take the cup of the carpenter. So Yofa is basically like like aging prematurely and turning into a skeleton and crashing and burning. Yes, and Yorick is Indiana Jones. We got there. He chose wisely. <laughs> yeah. um, but backtracking by uh, like 20 minutes or so. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> I could probably push that like too far. Uh Lyra is imprisoned uh, where she meets a a scholar who seems to have transported from Pirates of the Caribbean into a totally (laughs) different franchise. Um, Like there's a spinning shot of him above the head, which is like the crazed uh, shot of um, Bruce Campbell in Evil Dead 2, like the way that he's smiling and kind of glaring into camera. Um, And it's slightly cartoony and it's just like, here's your classic insane prisoner. Um, who gives us just a little bit of exposition about Svalbard, this fortress, and that Yorick Ragnarsson is now king, and Lord Asriel has got this laboratory on the mountain, and all of that. Um, and Lyra figures out that she needs to trick the bears, or trick Yofa Ragnarsson, the new king, into a fight with Yorick Bernison, 
so that Yorick Bernison can become the new king and let Lord Asriel go. So she tricks she tricks him by saying that she is his demon? Yes. Mm-hmm. Or Yorick's demon. Yeah. Both ah. of their demons. She says... She will become Yofa's demon. Yeah, Lyra says that she's Yorick's demon. And if Yorick fights Yofa, the winner gets her as a demon. So she's... Her ego is pretty pretty inflated at this point like no i don't think i don't think her (laughs) ego is she's she's inflating the ego of yofa no she's playing into his hands if you win you get you get me yeah i mean lyra's pretty cool yeah she's pretty useful (laughs) i'd like to have her around nice she's very sneaky the thing i loved about this scene um and i think something actually the episode does really well is that there are quite a few scenes including this one where you have just two characters talking to each other for like five minutes in mm. a way that if we're talking about the pacing and the characterization really works in a lot of ways and that scene with Lyra um, talking to to Yofa and and manipulating him this is the first time I really really feel like we've seen Lyra the competent liar the imaginative storyteller really come into play mm. um, which is an important side of her of her character and who she is that she can just spin these tall tales mm. out of nowhere that are very believable um, and you see it in small ways like when she calls herself Lizzie in um, uh, in Bolvanga and it just sort of comes straight out of her she's not thinking about it she's not there's no moment where she goes oh I have to come up with yeah, something yeah. Uh, so when she's in front of Yofa and she just brings this mad story out of nowhere and he falls for it hook line and sinker I thought they actually did that really well. Yeah, and they set up like loads of episodes back, like, oh, you cannot trick a bear. Mm. Uh, that's something that they all know. They, they can see the truth. Um, well, maybe if you've got a truth-telling device, you know yeah. how to get around one. <laughs> and this lovely idea that he's a bear who's sort of desperate to be more than just a bear, and therefore yeah. he is trickable. And yeah. yeah, well, Lyra says, I think you're a new god. And I think that's a very Philip Pullman just takedown on the idea of a god, that a god would be someone who seeks power, who is vain, who just mm. wants gold and luxury. Like that is what the show as an idea would view as a deity. My favorite line from Yofa was when he goes, ready me for battle. <laughs> <laughs> and like all his bare minions come and just like uh, circle him. Well, that's what you say when we're going to a party. <laughs> <laughs> and then you swoop in with a yeah. coat and with the yeah. heels and... Um, but Yorick does arrive outside. It's, it looks amazing. Like there is this this fortress in the snow and it's just this amazing red carpet of blood. Oh, it's like, they're like the tribute trees of a river. Like yeah. the blood. Yeah, amazing. Uh, and it, it looks like uh, the end of The Last Jedi. Yes. Oh my God. It's the it's the planet of Crete. Yes. Looks so cool. Nerds. I, sorry. <laughs> Look, if you bring someone from Empire on, you're going to get this nerdy stuff. And it looks really cool. And then on the inside, it ha- it's got this um, kind of rusted copper feel, like mm. uh, like the Chamber of Secrets, I think. Mm. Ben, I'll bring you a, a bring them Harry Potter feel. and Star Wars references as much as I, I can. can. Say, rusted copper feel is actually my favourite Dickens novel as well. Um, <laughs> I, I was really partly just. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I, I was partly just relieved to see that they were actually doing the Bear Kingdom properly. There was a little bit of me, and I spoke to my friend about this the other day. That was slightly worried that when they introduced Yofa in the caves, that it was like, oh, but he's the king of the bear kingdom um so partly i was just relieved that they did that properly all the shots of it outside i was like "Ooh, in a good way this is like his dark materials at its game of thronesiest Mm. in the sense of like oh the scale of this suddenly just feels exponentially bigger um and yeah i quite like the way that they presented it inside that it felt realistically sort of created by polar bears yeah. <laughs> if that's possible there was so much blood everywhere yeah i love that it felt kind of brutal like when lyra walks through and yeah. she's walking through these huge like pools of blood because yeah. it should be because there's yeah. bears fighting each other to the death and as much as the actual death blow comes off screen i feel like they went sort of as brutal as they could yeah. <laughs> at eight o'clock on a sunday night show yes um I I know we kind of see everything from lyra's perspective and we experience the world as she does um but I kind of I would have liked to get get a better sense of space mm. in the same way that I wish we had a better idea of the layout of Bolvangar as mm. well. And if we did have that extra ten minutes to spend there, and the same way with the Bear Kingdom as well, kind of just little bits where like B roll or whatever, mm. just to show how the world of this organization or this building works. I was stunned that the Bear stuff 
ended like less than half an hour into the episode. Mm. That, I know. I had that to keep absolutely check- shocked I had to, me. Like, keep checking my watch, thinking surely this fight should be the climax and the crescendo. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I would agree. I think I do think the fight is really good. It's quite yeah. horrible. Um, I think the digital first technology uh, <laughs> is, is it's less horrifying than we've seen in some other contexts, <laughs> and I can't bring to mind right now. Um, but like, just the like the way that the that kind of matted blood in the fur like feels real. I think that stuff is great. And but yeah. didn't but didn't you feel that once? Yorick wins the fight. Mm. Such an anticlimax. Yes, mm. I, I would agree. And I think if we had just spent a bit more time focusing on Svalbard and its inhabitants, we would have felt a bit more catharsis at that end. Yeah. Yorick uh, says, I need to end his tyranny. Louis, what was Yorick, uh, sorry, what was Yofa Ragnarsson up to? No idea. And I, I think that's yeah. an issue. Yeah, I agree. And I think just... Just like being a naughty bear. <laughs> this is the thing where it's like, we're spending so long with Lord Boreal. And I, I know that for budgetary reasons, bringing more of the bear stuff in would be tricky. But I don't care if it looks a bit shonky, if it means that we actually are invested in the in the storytelling and in the characters um, of what's happening up there at, um, at Svalbard. We're just in and out so yeah, quickly. I know, it's a shame. Um, but it does mean that Lyra is renamed Lyra Silvertongue. Yes. It is important, as we mentioned. Although I've, I've got a suggestion of what she could have been called. Right. Lyra Beraqua. Oh. That's good. <laughs> See, that's the thing. Yorick Bernison, not good with wordplay. <laughs> <laughs> he has so many traits, yeah. but he wordplay can clank out some one. armor, but he can't clank out a pun. Yeah. No. Um, and I think like that is something that feels like it's taken from an Eastern influence with the, the value on names and how important they are. Um, I do another, another show that's about the films of Studio Ghibli and we've spoken a lot about that and within Japanese culture and how important names are. And it comes up a lot in those films, the idea of someone being given a new name, they have a new identity when they've gone through a journey. And that's exactly what happens to Lyra here. Um, but she makes it out. She is reunited for the second time in two episodes with Roger. Um, but have my favourite Roger and Lyra moment yet. Ooh, what was that? They hug each other. And uh, the line is, is this for me or for you? Oh, so sweet. sweet. It says so much, doesn't it? They're and it so affectionate me. to each yeah. other. It's so nice. Yeah, it bugged me when they met each other in um, uh, Bolvanga last week that it's like, she went sort of a quarter of the way around the world to go and find her best friend who'd been kidnapped by some nebulous organization. And they didn't quite have that big reunion moment yeah. that I was yeah. really dying for. And just this little sweet interaction they have there gave me a bit of that that I was wanting. Yeah. Um, yeah. Credit to Lewin Lloyd, who plays Roger, who is mm. a real standout in the show. I think it's he's sweet fantastic. Kid. He's yeah. my favorite. Um, but they reunite and we get to Lord Asriel. His, his laboratory in the mountains. So underwhelming. Do you think? Yeah. And you're a James McAvoy fan. I'm a huge James McAvoy fan, but it was just... I think, yeah, we just keep coming back to it. It's just the pacing was... Yeah. I wonder, like, if we we spend that time in Svalbard, we end the episode there. What a dramatic moment. And now we have to head out and find They're... Israel. Maybe yeah. like, that should have been it. But we have this kind of 10-minute lull afterwards. All these moments on their own would be fantastic, you know, the crux of the episode. Mm. But you throw them all in together and they none of them quite stick. Yeah, um, I think that that's fair. Um, Asriel's a funny one because when you read the book, then I don't know if you have this as well, he feels like a main character and yet there are like two chapters that feature him. Yeah, I think it's because he's so much in Lyra's head yeah. for a lot of the book, and obviously the way the book is told is from Lyra's perspective, and you he's in her thoughts. There. Yeah, and it always becomes... I think they've done a reasonable job of trying to hammer home that part of the end game is that Asriel is in the north and we've got to get to Asriel. But I think also thinking about what's to come maybe in next week, if we're sort of estimating what's going to happen, I feel like they could have just left all the Asriel stuff until the final episode yeah yeah um well and, and doing like like a final boss situation yeah. where it's like you don't 
like not seeing him and not knowing makes it like more curious. And I, because I think as well in the book, in a lot of ways, especially through Lyra's perspective, he is kind of unknowable. He's mm-hmm. this like mm-hmm. sort of shadowy figure, and I, I, I guess he is still that way in the show because he hasn't been in it very much. But he is this sort of mysterious imperious unknowable figure who she holds in very high regard but actually doesn't really know anything he's, about he's just sort of an idea of, of Azure rather than actually being a tangible but we do have that unpredictability that kind of Willy Wonka feel in a way like, like you just don't know what he's going to do yeah. and uh, Lyra has this expectation of this this person that she holds up on a pedestal and she's gone all this way to get there she comes through the front door and the first thing that he does is scream at her mm. like why are you here uh and like this is a roller coaster. This last scene. What are you thinking, Louis? Again, it didn't. I didn't get. I didn't understand mm. the. Okay, so they arrive. As you're saying, didn't want you here. Didn't call for you. And then there's an exchange between his demon and himself. And then he asks who Roger is, and Roger says who he is. And then he's like, "Oh, come on in." Run the children a nice hot bath. I've cracked it. You've cracked it. He found out that Roger was a kitchen boy. <laughs> he's so hangry. He <laughs> yeah. hasn't had a good meal in ages. And he's like, oh, sausages. Cook some, oh my God, sausages. Thank he's God. Like, oh, I'm going to have this meal. And now I'm really glad that you're here. That's um, got to be it, right? It must yeah. be it. So, do you have any idea where this could possibly be going? No, I have no yeah. idea. Structurally, I think that's the word, of, word also, of the week. Is, like mm. This scene for me is like a few pages before the end. Yeah, uh, but we've got a whole other hour after this to see. I've, I'm really curious what's going to be happening. So, is this a loaded moment, a uh, loaded scene? I mean, that's for the because, viewer to make up their because, mind about. So, as someone who hasn't got a, a foundational knowledge from the text, this seem it could be throwaway or it could be. Did it feel jarring? Yeah, yeah. because you wanted like to see Asriel. It, it need it needed to be like a sort of choir singing, mm. like a brass band type moment. I like the puncturing of that moment that you think it's going to be something that yeah. is that is a, a triumphant scene. And yeah. it, it really isn't. Yeah. I feel knowing why that scene is the way it is, and I'm not going to say why, but um, I feel like it was overplayed. Yeah. Mm. I feel like, like with maybe with some of the Mrs. Coulter stuff that they're playing up the extremes of these characters in a way that feels a little bit too simplistic. And I think it would add to the mystery more actually if. I feel like there's a way of doing that scene that is a little bit more subtle. And I don't know if that's entirely in the writing or if a lot of it is in the performance. Um, But yeah, knowing why that was the reaction that he had and the change in the reaction that he had feels a little bit too simplistic at this point. I just hope in the next, in the final episode, we get Mrs. Coulter and Asriel in the same Mm. room because there's a a line that she delivers towards the end of this episode where she says, I can smell his next move, mm. which is just so exciting. Wow. Just to, to delve in and see a bit more of their relationship and their beef with one another. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Ben, you mentioned this is a moment that is uh, kind of triumph, should be triumphant, but doesn't quite stick the landing. And maybe that's a perfect place to end on this episode. Oh, <laughs> you did that. Um, <laughs> So we, so we must move on uh, to a little section that's the deepest of the show, uh, where we like to talk about our inner demons. Uh, Louis, you're you're on a quest mm-hmm. uh, now, and you've you've broken out of jail, and you're now heading further north to figure out what your demon might be. What are you thinking this week? I don't know. This week, I felt quite just there's been a feeling of unrest within me and then we were talking about this earlier on just like chaos just like a feeling of chaos and just just, pre-christmas madness yeah that i don't feel i mean we're always almost at the end of the first season and i don't feel any closer to being settled on what my demon would be yes although this week i have been leaning into the festive atmosphere Mm. and Perhaps maybe a nice Robin who could just sort of sit on my shoulder. Yeah, I, I think in the kind of chaotic festive period of doing lots and things, lots of things all the time, the idea of a bird 
just like flapping its wings all the time like a little bird like a robin <laughs> or a hummingbird or something that's just like going at it and then like we'll have a pause for a bit then fly off again onto the yeah. next thing i think a little christmas robin it's a good fit yeah i like it ben obviously you we're going back to what Ooh. 1999 now yeah. uh, 20 years of demon thinking i know what pressure is that right um so I was thinking about it again this summer and I was, I was talking to my girlfriend. I love that. And yeah, again. Yeah, it's just, you know, it's just lying there thinking, what's my, what my keeping me be? up at night again? I'm always caught in that thing of like, is this what my demon would be? Or is this just what I would like as a pet yeah. and as a companion? <laughs> Which I think is a line that the show doesn't necessarily distinguish as well as it should do that it's it's not what you want is who you are um but because it's not real for us i can say what i want and i think uh the thing that i've thought for a while would you know a sugar glider what is that a sh- what the heck is that okay. like, oh is they like dive into water and like grab a little drink is that uh- <laughs> 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 there was an action that came with that that was like really adorable um so it's it's sort of a flying squirrel kind of thing sugar sugar glider whatever you're doing right now google when, sugar glider it's it's a small soft uh little rodent type creature who has sort of wing flaps it's like a um, flying squirrel it's like a flying squirrel but with sort of a stripier face oh it um, kind of looks like ermine pan as well yes so this is the thing every time pan is in ermine form or anything oh, small so and soft sweet. makes me go so mushy and i love the idea of having a demon that would just be like soft and all around me all the time also um in a fight or flight situation i would 100 percent be flight and mm-hmm. this has little wing things that it could sweep away Ooh, from. And it could scope things out for you. Because you could send it up out. a tree, look ahead. Exactly. Smart. And I'm a quite cautious person. I like to plan things. So I feel like it plays into that. Um, and also it's just cute as heck. And who wouldn't want that around them all the time? Louis, I feel like you want a sugar glider as a demon I want now. a sugar <laughs> Because apparently the name refers to its preference for sugary foods. Oh my God, that's me all over. Such as sap and nectar. I'm literally you sat next sap. to it. I love nectar. <laughs> I collect nectar points from Sainsbury's every week. I'm sat next to a bowl of quality street that I've been trying not to eat this whole episode. Um, there, it's probably one of those things that's very unethical to have as a pet. But yeah. There are all sorts of videos um, on various social media channels of people with sugar gliders as pets, like in their pockets and like swooping out from from the top of um, uh, like wardrobes and oh yeah, amazing stuff. Just okay. I, I just love sugar gliders. Wow. <laughs> What a choice. Um, uh, but we, we must wrap up there, sadly. Um, ben, if people want to keep up with you on Twitter, where can they do so? Uh, ben S. Travis. And if people want to hear more of your lovely voice on podcasts. Uh, I am from time to time on the Empire podcast. Um, so give it a listen. It's uh, We do a weekly show that's just rounding up film news and film reviews and answering questions from listeners. Uh, and we also do spoiler special episodes as well, uh, delving into sort of either big blockbusters or just interesting films and we'll have interviews with directors and writers breaking down the big spoilery stuff yeah, and at the we'll... time of listening you've got a knives out one coming imminently yes there is a knives one and knives out one that is imminent um and sadly i don't think we have a guest but we will be doing a big star wars breakdown uh after episode nine comes out so yes come back for more of that amazing and louis people can find you at louisa maycock yes and i think after tonight i'm gonna be thinking of Maybe we should make a thread of all the foods that we've and all I say de- we, you have cooked. And all the demons. <laughs> yes. Um, so follow Lou on Twitter. And you can follow me there as at Jake H. Cunningham. Uh, but that's about it for this week. Uh, thanks so much for joining us as we explore the, the world or worlds of his dark materials on Dustbusters. Dustbusters is produced by Jake Cunningham. That's me. Our music is by Dan Yakano, and the show is edited by Jamie Maisner. <laughs>